So I came to serve this church in July, and not long after that, I was asked to officiate a funeral, which of course it was my honor to do. And so the day of the funeral, I put on my robe and I grabbed my book of worship and I went to find the family. Now somebody told me that the family was in the bride's room. Here's the problem. I hadn't been here that long and this is a really big campus and I wasn't sure exactly where the bride's room was. So I, I thought for a moment and I thought, you know, it's gotta be in the West Wing. So I came in those doors and I walked right here where all of the people for this funeral were gathering to worship and I went through those doors and I went into the West Wing and I wandered around in there opening one door after another looking for the bride's room with no luck because the bride's room isn't over there. So then I came back through those doors and I walked in front of everybody again and I went through these doors over here. And then I went into this area over here where the children are and I wandered around in there opening one door after another looking for the bride's room with no luck because that's not where the bride's room is either. So I thought, I must have missed him in the West Wing. So I came back in that door and I walked in front of everyone again and at this point, people were starting to stare. It was interesting, I'm sure, to see the pastor bouncing back and forth like a ping pong ball in front of the whole church. So I went back through these doors and I wandered around in there again and of course, never opened the door to the bride's room because it's not there. I came back in again and then I stood there very confused and thought, where is the bride's room? Well, thank goodness, at that moment, a gentleman from the funeral home had mercy on me. He saw me from the back. He came running down the center aisle over here and he said, can I help you? (laughs) And I said, yes. I'm the pastor of the church and I don't know where the bride's room is. And bless him, he was so kind, he didn't even laugh at me. He just led me over to the bride's room, which by the way is over there somewhere. And he opened the door and there was the family. Friends, have you ever been in that sort of position where you've been wandering around looking for the right door, but no matter how hard you try, you just don't seem to be able to find it? That doesn't just happen in really big church buildings, you know. It also happens in life. In life, deep down, we know that there is a right door, and I think most of us are looking for it, but we can wander and wander and wander and open one door after another, looking for that right door and and not find it at all, and and then become afraid that maybe we're just going to remain confused or even lost. We're in a position like that, well, that's when you really need somebody to come along and point the way show you where the right door is. Well, friends, thanks be to God for Holy Scripture because Holy Scripture is our signpost that points us to that right door, the door that we are looking for. And that door is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. See, Jesus is the door to a spiritually whole and healthy life. In our text this morning, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now Jesus says this in the context of the story of the Good Shepherd and so all of the imagery here is about sheep and shepherds which would have been familiar to Jesus' audience at the time. You see in Jesus' day, the shepherds took their sheep out into the hills and they would spend weeks out there with them. And during the day, the Sheep would graze freely, but at night, the shepherd would bring them in, drive them into a sheep pen, a sheepfold. These were just dotted all over the hillside, and they weren't anything elaborate. They were really just a big circle of stones with an opening 
no door, just an opening, where the sheep could go in and out. So at night, the shepherd would drive the sheep into this sheep pen, and then to protect them, the shepherd himself would lie down in that opening. You see? Literally, the shepherd was the door. So once we understand that image, then this message that Jesus offers us here is disarmingly simple. Jesus says that he is the door that closes on something and the door that opens to something else. My friends, at the heart of it, this means that Jesus is the door that can close on our past life, close on our past of sin and guilt and grief and pain. Now, I know that sounds rather fundamental, but I don't know anything that people need to hear more today than that. We all need to know that our sins truly can be forgiven and our, gift, our guilt can be lifted off of us and that pain and grief, well, that can be healed by Jesus. We need to know this and there are just so many of us, you see, that are haunted by our past. I've had people tell me that they're actually tortured by their past, that no matter how hard they try to close the door on it, that door just seems to keep opening for them. In fact, they have said to me, you know, that they have resolved to close that door forever. They promised themselves, they said, I will never open that door and let the past in again, and yet then the past comes knocking, and they themselves go back and turn the knob and let it in. When I was a much younger woman, I had a friend who had a very tense relationship with her father. Parent-child relationships can be complicated, you know. And they just didn't get along for a variety of reasons. It had been that way since my friend was a child. And they fought a lot. Sometimes their arguments were very ugly, and these often led to periods of estrangement. They would go for long periods without speaking to one another. Well, at one point, my friend and her dad had another one of those terrible fights, and they said really, really, really ugly things to each other. And at the end of that argument, my friend said to her dad, you know what? I've had it with you. I'm never talking to you again. And then she slammed the door to his house and walked away. And this began another period of estrangement where they didn't talk. Well, a few months went by, and then my friend's dad died unexpectedly. And she was awash in grief and guilt. She just could not get over the fact that the last time she saw her dad, they'd had this terrible fight. And she could not forgive herself for the fact that the last words she said to her dad were ugly ones, that the last thing she ever said to him on this earth was, I'm never speaking to you again, and that turned out to be literally true. She struggled and struggled and struggled with this and kept trying to put it behind her, kept trying to find some sort of closure. She kept trying to shut that door, but she couldn't keep it closed she would go back and open it up herself again and again and again. As long as I knew her, she would do this. I was with her many times in small groups where she would bring it up and, and sort of confess this to everyone, trying to process it, I think, to get that closure and to keep the door closed. But 
despite her best efforts, she just couldn't get there. Friends, does this sound familiar to you? Have you ever done something that you regretted and then you've revisited it over and over and over and over again? You haven't been able to close the door on that past event and move on. You tell you yourself that you will and that you, and you yourself run and open it up, let the past back into the room with you. It's a common thing. So many of us are trying so hard to shut the door on things and find that we can't do it. There are people right now who are trying so hard to shut the door on pain and grief, things like abuse and divorce and death. There are people right now who are trying so hard to shut the door on sin and guilt, on past mistakes. Sometimes, friends, we look at our past and we see wasted opportunities or bad habits that cost us dearly, and those bother us and bother us. We cannot shut the door on that. Friends, the truth is we're just not capable of permanently shutting the door on our past, not by ourselves, because that involves forgiveness and healing that we can't offer ourselves. You see, we need the one who is greater than us to offer that relief. And Christ will. He will do that today if we just ask, if we will dare step through that divine door. He will shut our past behind us. He will forgive us. He will wash away our sin and guilt. He will heal us today if we will but allow him to close behind us as we step through that divine door. But of course there's more because he doesn't just shut the door to our past. Jesus also offer, offers us an incredible future. He opens before us abundant life. Did you hear that in the text? Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, friends, I got to tell you, I am disturbed that there are pastors who will teach this passage and say that abundant life means material wealth. We call that the prosperity gospel. And friends, I don't believe that's the way this text should be interpreted, not for one minute. I don't believe that that is responsible from a scholarly perspective. Of course, God is the source of all that we need. But Jesus isn't promising to shower us with wealth if we believe in him, if we step through that door. Actually, I believe that impoverishes this text to attach that meaning to it because abundant life means so much more than material things. Abundant life in Christ, friends, is, is new life. It's transformed life. It's redeemed life. It is a life of hope, and we cannot live without hope. That's real abundant life. And that is a gift beyond price. The author John Schmidt tells a story about a young man from Zimbabwe named Musum Diwa. Musum Diwa was abandoned on the street as a child and rescued by a Christian mission called Love More House. And I want you to listen to the words that Musum Diwa offers about his life. 
He says, my life was never very good. Even my name, Musum Diwa, means unwanted child. When I was two weeks old, my mother dumped me in a stack of old tires. The police picked me up and took me to my grandmother, and when she gave me back to my mother, she dumped me again, this time wrapping me in rags and leaving me in a beer hall. No one ever really wanted me except my grandmother, and she was too poor to buy enough food or pay for my school fees. After I ended up on the streets, some people at church told me about Love Moore House, and they asked me to come here. I am going to finish school and become a soccer player, and later maybe I will have a job in a bank. Inside my head, I asked God to help me reach my goals, to help me in school and with soccer, and especially to help me forgive others and not join in conflict. I think that God is giving me another name, Amen, which means someone good. Friends, that young man's testimony touches me so deeply, and I pray it does you too. Because even though he is really just a child, he understands something that so many adults struggle to grasp, and that is that Christ really is the door that closes on our past and opens to a life of hope. He understands that his name is no longer unwanted child. But now that he has stepped through the divine door, God has given him a new name, someone good. And likewise, friends, Christ can close the door on the names that have been attached to us in our past. Whether we've given ourselves those negative names or others have attached those names to us. We can leave those behind in Jesus, and God will give us a new name, a hopeful name, a name of love that we can live into, a name like someone good, someone kind, someone loving, someone generous, someone patient, even someone Christ-like. We don't have to be bound by our past. And before us, we have such a great future in Christ. If we will trust in that, well then, friends, when the past calls, we can let it go to voicemail because it doesn't have anything new to say anyway. And we can embrace real abundant life. Do you see? The life that Jesus offers this life of a new name, that's abundant life, real life, transformed life, redeemed life, a life of hope, a gift beyond price. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He really will close the door on your past and open up to a life that is truly abundant, friends. You don't have to spend your whole life wandering around trying to find the right door because he's right here. He always has been, and he always will be. All we've got to do is trust and step through because there's something else to remember that's important about doors. They don't mean much unless we use them. Will you pray with me? 
Loving God, we give you thanks for you are truly the door. The door that will close on the pass for us, a pass of sin, of guilt, of hurt and pain, and open before us a life of true hope and abundance. Thank you, Lord, and give us the trust and courage to step through that door. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.